All right, and we're here with Tom. This is the late midweek pod. We're going to talk about Wolves on Monday night and a bit of transfer news, maybe some of the Women's World Cup and lovely issues like Mason Greenwood's potential return. Where do you want to start, Tom? First, how are you doing? You, yeah, you good? Yeah, I'm doing good, thank you. I'm a bit... Oh, I'm not looking forward to getting into the Mason Greenwood stuff, but we have to talk about it. But apart from that, yeah, doing pretty good. I'm looking forward to the start of the season as well. Like, friendlies are... Friendlies are good fun. Yeah. You can just watch them without kind of caring too much and you can kind of just watch them with interest. But I am kind of looking to get emotionally involved and emotionally damaged again, to be honest. Hopefully not damaged too early. <laughs> emotionally damaged. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, I oh, shall we get the crappy stuff out of the way first? There's a, a group of United fans. I think they're called United Women Fans Against... Mason Greenwood or something like that. I'm sorry, I probably butchered the name there, but that a fairly lengthy statement, got some press around this, who are planning a protest at the weekend at Old Trafford because it seems like Mason Greenwood is going to be integrated back into the squad. The club aren't saying anything, but it feel, feels like the mood music. What's your take on this? Yeah, it's weird what kind of came out today about United delaying the decision to to speak to the World Cup players. It feels like them announcing that news feels like these these World Cup players are going to be blamed either way or going to be cheered either way. Like It feels like the decision is completely down to them. If they're announcing that and they're delaying the decision, it feels like it, everything is riding on the decision of these these World Cup players. I, I don't really understand yeah. this, and it's it feels very much like passing the book. Do, do we even believe that the club gives a fuck? No, no, not at all. It feels to me that it's like a commercial decision that they are asking sponsors probably right now, rather than they're asking like the World Cup players. I think that's probably what's more on their mind right now. Yeah, that that seems probably a, a fair assessment. I, I just don't believe that. Uh, say if Ella Toon says no, I'm actually uncomfortable with having an alleged rapist at the club. If she says that, the club going to go, yeah, all right, we're going to fire him and maybe have to pay him his back wages for the past eighteen months and the next three years of his contract. So we're going to have to pay off, I don't know, twenty million pounds for a hundred million pound asset. I, I like everything that the club's been about for the last twenty years under the Glazers. Tell me, tells me that is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were going to loan him out, it'd have happened by now. If they were going to fire him, it was going to happen by now. So this is about reintegration and trying to get some kind of shield. And maybe I'm being deeply cynical here, but it feels like they would like the cover of the women's team to say, hey, look, these guys are all right with it. Isn't it okay? Yeah, I think that's it. Because like, then you can yeah have this excuse that you pointed to that you can point to saying, yes, we've asked women what they think about this and they they agree with our decision, which it does look like, it, yeah, he is going to be integrated back into the team, which considering how ruthless Ten Hag has been with pretty much anyone who doesn't fit in the squad, obviously Maguire, McTominay, Fred, blah, 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 blah. Like the way that he's dealt with Mason Greenwood is... I was going to say shocking, but I think it. I think it's just appalling, to be honest. Like I, I, I've been a, a, a huge fan of Ten Hag since everything, or pretty much all, all of his decisions so far. But I think he's been really quite bad on this, and I, I date that back to 
when he first spoke about this this issue, like he was very non-committal, and maybe he had to be at that time. Mm-hmm. But like now, it's it's gone too far. And I think if if considering the way that he is running the club at the moment, it feels like very Fergie-esque in, in terms of he is the man. He's very hands-on with everything from scouting to the the decisions that made with the players leaving, and and obviously everything on the pitch as well. Like. If he really what if he didn't want Mason Greenwood, Mason Greenwood wouldn't be here, in my opinion. But that doesn't seem to be the the case here. It feels like he wants to integrate him back into the team. He sees a potential striking option, which we are very running very low on. And yeah, like I, I know we can we can blame the the management and the, the the executive branch of the of the club for it. But I think also the book has to stop with with Ten Hag as well because he could do something about this. Well, yeah. Yes, and and uh, his record isn't exactly awesome on this. Ten mm-hmm. Hag, neither was Ollie's, by the way, before him, as we well know. But uh, yeah, Ten Hag was quite quickly came out in support of Mark Overmars after Overmars had been texting dick pics around Ajax. So it's yeah. It, it, I mean, look from a, a playing point of view, I kind of understand Ten Hag's position. He's like fantastic player. Likelihood is the squad doesn't give a fuck. I mean, just look what happened with Benjamin Mendy. Mm-hmm. After he was cleared of all those allegations, which I mean, I guess it's no longer sub judice, but we could get sued for slander. So hey, go read all about it. It's not pretty that one, whether he was found not guilty or not. And that's a diversion, but say just to say, I don't think footballers would think deeply about this, or or maybe even would be in support of Mason Greenwood since he has not been found guilty of anything. Um, and Ten Hag's just looking at this from a playing point of view. He's going to get a £100 million striker uh, as a free bonus from his point of view, and I think that's probably trumping any ethical concerns. And, and the club's looking at an asset that they would either almost certainly have to pay off to make him leave and would be picked up by another club tomorrow if they did that, because football is football. And as Roy Keane said, they're all bags of meat to be sold Um Ethical considerations don't seem to be high on the list in this sport. I'm not surprised, honestly, and I, unless there was a really public demonstration, visible and large. I'm not sure it would move the Glazers either. Yeah, and and when there was a very visible public demonstration against them after Super League, and people broke into Old Trafford, they made a lot of promises they didn't keep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I feel, I'm feeling deeply cynical about this, but. I mean, it's kind of interesting online. There's a split. There's quite a lot of people who are who are quite happy to say we don't want this player back at our club. There's more important things than this. And then, you know, if you listen, if you read the bottom half of that statement that came out, a whole bunch of bros going, not guilty, bring him back, don't care about women fans. There was even one idiot who said, be great if there aren't any more women fans don't have to bother with them, a whole bunch of people saying stupid stuff like get back in the kitchen. I just, the misogyny is run yeah. so deep and it's so sickening. And unfortunately, Mason being back in the team is going to be the kind of face of that. Yeah. And it speaks to where lad culture is right now. Like it, you spoke about how footballers don't care that deeply about this type of thing. And, and, and that is, a symptom of lad culture as well like footballers grow up in a very laddish culture and and what we see online which 
it feels like it's got so much worse recently. It's always been bad online, the misogyny, which has been pretty rampant, but it just feels like like there's such a culture war men against women right now. Like obviously it's kind of being led by Andrew Tate and the and all those top G weirdos. But like that there's such a it's so, so toxic right now. And and it, that's also in kind of contrast to the way that women's sport is going right now well, the women's sports obviously burgeoning to a level that we've never seen before but like it's almost like this kickback from lad culture where they can't they feel emasculated by what's happening that women right. are actually getting a voice women are actually having some kind of strength which they've never had in this patriot patriarchal world and 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 yeah it's just it's happening throughout football culture because that's where lad culture nests and it's really yeah. really grim to watch it and it's it's grim to be involved in it and say that you're a football fan at times because you feel like you get associated with this kind of nonsense and yeah it kind of it ruins a lot of my love for the game and and ruins a lot of my love for united as well like having it being such i think it's like a 50 50 split online of people wanting greenwood or people not maybe maybe more pushing in the in the in the percentage of wanting him to come back really and people I speak to offline as well like this there's a, there's a a huge percentage of people I speak to offline who who would want Mason Greenwood back or fans from other clubs who would want Mason Greenwood back if they were fans of them it's just yeah. just the way that the way that people see the world it's not like a football thing it's a society thing and yeah it's it's really it's really really grim yeah, there's that Martin Luther King quote, and I forget it exactly, so apologize for bastardizing it. But he said, to the that one group gaining freedom to the oppressor feels like oppression. Mm-hmm. So I think the rise of women's sport and, and the voices to minority groups, including, for example, trans groups, feels like oppression to some, yeah. you know, toxic people who've who've been in power for so long, and I, I do feel like there's some of that, and you've got a point there. Anyway, it's, it's, it's pretty grim, but I guess we're going to find out. It's, I mean, we were promised before this weekend that's not going to happen. The World Cup doesn't finish for another couple of weeks, so maybe they're just taking that as a chance to kick the can down the road. They have, of course, has has been pointed out, had months yeah. to consult the, yeah. the players that are still at the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what? Mary Earps, Ella Toon. And Katie Zellum. Katie Zellum. And well, still officially on a batch, but obviously she's going to Barcelona. But Yeah. Let's talk about the World Cup. So uh, how much have you seen? I, I've actually honestly seen very little of it. There's been a few live matches that have been... Yeah, it's not good timing for you. Is I it? mean, most of them are like either one or three in the morning. Mm. Yesterday's Spain-Netherlands game was in the evening, so caught some of that. But yeah, timing's not great, but there are good highlights, fortunately. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've watched I've watched a lot of it, to be honest. I've not got up for the, for the early games, like three and five when they've been in New Zealand, but... The ones that have been later in Australia, the seven, nine, and <clears throat> eleven games, I've watched a lot of it, and it's been great. Like the, the standard of quality is is has been and 
I've seen this quite like commonly, like Michael Cox did a really good article on the physicality and the, and the quality upgrade of, of this year's World Cup. And, and that's been awesome to see. And also like the storylines are so good. Like I, I love the women's Euros. Was it last summer? I think it was last summer, wasn't yeah. it? It feels like a long time ago. But a World Cup is always just better because of the colour of, of of the other nations around the world, the storylines. And like Jamaica's storyline was so good. Nigeria's storyline was really good, especially after them having such huge problems with the, the FA before the tournament. And it, it didn't feel like they were... But they, I think they threatened to boycott one game and then they almost ended up knocking out the Euro- European champions in England, which is yeah. really fun. There was another great story. Who was the other great one who got through the group? But South Africa by scoring in the in the last minute against Italy. Like ah, that's what's great about a men's World Cup, and it's equally as great about a women's World Cup. These kind of storylines, especially from like outside of Europe, because we become so Eurocentric, like in football. And I I love a storyline from outside of Europe. And it's a shame that Japan went out this morning to to Sweden. Sweden, Sweden yeah. a bit of a bore have been throughout this tournament and japan have been really really fun but yeah it's been great and and i think i think england will struggle i think they they might win tomorrow but i think they'll struggle to to get past the semi to be honest because it's just there's too many injuries and and their lauren james thing was was huge like yeah so masterful throughout this tournament and well they struggled to score haven't they england except in that game against china yeah it it looks a bit toothless the traitor alicia russo not scoring goals as she barely ever has during her career too much hype not enough delivery on that one whereas (laughs) the other traitor lauren james was was absolutely those two goals in and the, and the disallow goal that would have been the best hat trick one of the best hat tricks I've ever yeah. seen it's unbelievable like she is so good and that is a huge huge loss especially with the other losses that are already been mounting up over the tournament yeah I mean clearly she had to be sent off clearly for a, the stamp and it seemed like she could have avoided that and hasn't come out and said oh that was an accident or anything like yeah. that so owned up to it what a and I don't think they've announced the length of the ban yet. I think they, they just announced it today. Two, it's two days. Two games. Two games, sorry. Two so games. she'll be back for so the final. So and Semi could be back for the final. Yeah. I mean, England do have the better route through. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Colombia, not one of the top seeds, struggled to score goals themselves. And Australia, I mean, on paper, I mean, obviously, they're at home, Australia, so that makes a big difference. They've got to get to, against France. So it's going to be a tight game. But on paper, England should be much stronger than Australia. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they've got Sam Kerr, one of the world's best strikers, Ford in midfield as well, well-known to the Women's Super League, but not as strong on paper. Obviously, the home factor makes a difference. So. Yeah. England just got to find goals from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and Bigman has, has found solutions to most of the problems, hasn't she? And she's had to juggle a lot, injuries, suspensions, injuries before the tournaments, injuries during the tournaments. Now Lauren James's suspension. She's played with a 4 and a 3-5-2. Got to find a solution to goal scoring. Yeah. And also like Kira Walsh is such a huge blow. I know she's not a goal scorer, but the way that she sets the tempo and, and dictates the way that England want to play, like losing a player like that, I think she's my favourite player. Is she out for the Columbia game? I think so. But I'm not right. sure. But like she, she's my favourite player in women's world football. I think she's just a phenomenal talent. I know she plays for City, but she's just so good. And I think 
when you lose a player like that as well, it just it's. I know, like you say, Vigman's found solutions, but it's still difficult to find a solution for losing a player like that. And I think that's why England looked a little bit just off it, I guess, against Nigeria. Like they were just not at the races. And yeah. Nigeria are a very good team, despite their problems before the tournament. They've got some some of the world's best players. They've got a couple of players playing for Barcelona and one for Atletico Madrid, Benfica, all these like top clubs. They were massively underestimated, I think, before the, the tournament started. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I think if England had their best team, then I'd, I'd fancy them. But it's just it's difficult to, to just when you just keep losing players every seemingly every game at the moment, it's just difficult to just to, to progress through that. But like you say, Colombia's... Colombia is a winnable tie. They've been good. They've been very, very good, like a surprise package, I think, throughout this tournament. But it's the game after that, like you say, France and Australia. Australia have been not that great either. Obviously, you had to beat Canada in the last game of the group to go through after after losing to Nigeria. But then, yeah, like you say, at home, Sam Kerr being back and maybe fully fit. And then France, France looked good as well, they, as they kind of always have done. And with their manager... Herve Renard, who's obviously masterminded Saudi Arabia's win at the at the Men's World Cup like seven months yeah. ago. That's a, that's a crazy story like storyline in itself as well. So yeah, it's it'll be difficult that semi final. But yeah, it's, I think I think it, I guess it is winnable for sure. But yeah, it'll be a step up ahead of Colombia. But I still don't yeah. even know if yeah, Colombia's not given by any stretch. No, I mean they've got some good players as well. Caicedo in midfield really looks really good doesn't she and some others quite a lot of players play in the Spanish league for Barcelona Atletico Madrid Real Madrid so they yeah they look they look strong I mean Colombia is another interesting story because they also have some domestic players who basically don't get paid anything and and it was the same the same with a lot of teams here and FIFA made the decision to hand out bonuses not directly to the players as they previously promised but to the federations And so I have absolutely no doubt that some of the federations will be keeping that money. Yeah. And and it seems to happen all the time. And the, the, the FIFA did triple the money available to teams in this World Cup, but it's still a fraction of the Men's World Cup. Um, and this is another part of misogyny in, in practice. We talked about it with Mason Greenwood, but it's, it's true structurally as well. FIFA is a non-profit there for the benefit of the game. The, the idea that somehow that because the men's game generates more broadcast rights, the men's game should keep more of the money. That that's, that's I mean, you can make that argument with club football, but it makes no sense at an international yeah. level where FIFA is there to benefit the game. I mean, in fact, they make a big deal about this. This is mm-hmm. why Infantino keeps getting voted in or didn't even have to stand opposed for the last one because... He hands out these development grants, which go into people's back pockets, allegedly, mm. also known as bribes. <laughs> but if if FIFA is there to to support growth of the game for everybody, then they should be doing that with the women's game as well. There's really no excuse to to not do that. Absolutely, especially when they need it most as well. No question about that. It's supported by you, our listeners, through patreon.com forward slash NQAT 
pod where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the Premier League and Europe. All right, should we get on to some transfer stuff and then Wolves? There's, uh, there's, uh, it looks like this is about outgoing City United. Neither confirmed, but it looks like Fred's off to Fenerbahce. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got an interesting one, this one, because he he actually looked quite good playing alongside Casemiro for a while last season and then just fell out of favour and just wasn't picked at all yeah, yeah. for the back end of the season. I, I, I like Fred. I, I, I really like what he what he brings. I like, I mean... In my starting eleven, he wouldn't be there. I don't think he'd be in my starting thirteen or whatever like that. If I, if I was going to keep adding centre midfielders, but in certain games he would be my starting. He would be in my starting eleven, like big games like against City or against Liverpool or another top Champions League team. Like he'd he'd be in there, and he's also a great squad player, like to bring on in certain scenarios. But I guess. I don't know if this is more him pushing for a, for an exit or, or Ten Hag pushing him to the exit. Like it's difficult to to know. Like I can un- I completely understand if he if he doesn't want to be a squad player, which he's going. That's the best position that he's going to be in the squad for, for United. He's not going to be a, a player yeah. who's going to start every week. And if he wants more than that, then that yeah, completely fair enough. But yeah, if Ten Hag's pushing him out, I don't quite understand that because I think like I say he's got so many attributes that he brings to his bow like he's he's very frustrating at times like his passing is sloppy like he's hot-headed at times his shooting's wild like he's he's a frustrating footballer a little bit like Anthony is but yeah yeah he's great in certain scenarios I also think he should he could do better than Fenerbahce like that's kind of the yeah. graveyard of Premier League footballers. You look at like the Turkish league, and it it's is, like yeah. you're just looking down the list of all ex Premier League footballers. You're like, like you can surely do better at your age and, and your talent. Like, I feel like another Premier League. I'm surprised another Premier League club didn't snap him up or or a team from the top five. Let's talk about Fulham, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe they offered him a super package because yeah. it's a low fee. Yeah. Who know? Who knows? Yeah. I, I mean, I tend to agree with you. I think as an all rounder, he's there's a place in the squad for someone like him. He's great on the press, great trigger for the press as well, especially in certain games where United want, might want to press high. That's useful. No other player really does that in the squad quite in the same way. I guess Mason Mount will do mm-hmm. when he finds his feet at the club. So maybe that's part of the thinking. I guess he's behind Mount and Ericsson for the spot as sort of number eight alongside Casemiro. Yeah. So that, that may well be playing into it as well. He just won't get that many games. I said on Twitter yesterday, unpopular opinion, but I think he's a better all-rounder than Amrabat, which uh, a lot of people seem to like deliberately like misunderstood what I said there. It's like, anyway, he is a better all-rounder. He literally has a more all-round skill set. Yeah. I have no doubt about that. And I think I said when we were talking last time as well, I, I kind of find Amrabat a bit powder puff as a player. Mm. He looks nice on the ball, but there's really nothing else to his game. Doesn't create, doesn't defend. Yeah. I mean, the receipts are there. Just go check any of the data as well if you don't believe your eyes. He just doesn't do anything except for pass the ball, which is very good if you're a possession-dominant side. But I'm not actually certain that that is where we're headed with Ten Hag's team, that United are going to be possession-dominant. I don't think you can be possession-dominant in the way that City are when you 
your two key players are Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford. Yeah. And also Which like is, Casemiro, yeah. like Casemiro is good on the ball, but like in a possession dominating team, like you want someone better in that position. What some not someone better, sorry, someone better with the ball, someone like smoother with right. the, with the pass and, and cleaner in possession. Like Casemiro is good at that, right. but like he's not he's not Rodri, is he? No, no, that's right. And and Rodri, see if you look at the data on Rodri, which some people pointed out, it doesn't look that different to Amrabat, but just the context is so completely different mm-hmm. in a team that averages over sixty percent possession. It's it's like you just don't have to defend him the same way. Yeah. And I and I again I just don't think United are gonna turn into that kind of side. Not just yet, there's more evolution, but also just with the squad players we've got. And and Ten Hag's talked about it this summer. He's, he he was express this wish that United become the best transitional side in the world. And it doesn't mean that's the only way United would play like volleyball. It, it means that he wants United to be the strong there because they have the players to be strong there. But anyway, so I think Fred yeah. is perfect in a transitioning team. Like he's, yeah. he's pacey, like he's the paciest of our centre mids. He's really quick across like five or 10 yards. He's great at like, taking the ball forward, driving with the ball. I don't think there's another centre mid who's, who is as good as driving with the ball that we have. Like, And like I say, like he's, he's sloppy in possession at times, but I think, I, I really do I really do think he's an asset. And I think he's been, yeah. like, I, I saw you tweet yesterday and I saw like the derision that Fred was getting on, on in the replies, but he has been like unfairly derided, I think, by our, by our fans. Like almost since the start like and I think that's because he is sloppy on the ball but I, th- I feel like he's got yeah. so many good attributes and yeah it's a bit of a shame to see him go I think and he came for a mega fee yeah which sets which context. is he was, which was, was like it was obviously yeah, crazy 50 odd millions obviously insane yeah. so yes and United have done a lot of deals like that which is why we're butting up against FFP problems <laughs> And don't seem to have got the value for it. Uh, buy high, sell low has been the uh, strategy <laughs> for a long time. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Goodbye, Fred. He's been entertaining, if deeply frustrating. And we'll see what happens with other incomings. I mean, I, I guess it probably means that McTominay stays, unless there is definitely another midfielder coming in. They rejected the bid from West Ham. I can kind of understand that. He's a homegrown grown player. He's got a few years left on the contract. He's 26 or something, so he's younger. I can understand why United might want a bigger fee than, say, the one they've agreed for Maguire. And uh, I think that, I mean, the, yeah, that, I think that makes sense in terms of market value. He's even less of a Ten Hag prototype player, mm. though, isn't he? McTominay, he just yeah, I think, not, I great think ball, not great defensively and really. His main attribute is being able to drive from midfield and score the odd goal. Yeah, I think Fred's a so, better footballer personally, yeah. and I would have sold McTominay ahead of Fred, like because I feel like I don't yeah. know what extra you're getting from McTominay. Well, he's he's homegrown. That does yeah, and there's we yeah. I'm trying to like we we need eight players. I think it is who qualifies homegrown to be in our listed 25-man squad. And he'd rather not list players like Kobe Minor in there because they qualify as under-21, yeah. so like extra players. Anyway, there may be a bit of juggling to be done there. The other one, Maguire. I mean, I guess we talked a lot about Maguire, but it's been agreed. He hasn't agreed it at the time of recording, Friday evening. I mean, he'd be bonkers not to accept it, wouldn't he? 
I mean, he's not. It's just not going to play very many games for United otherwise. So, I think Ten Hag said. Uh, in I his guess press they, they may be negotiating. I think Ten Hag said in his. Pre- Sorry, I think Ten Hag said in his press conference today that he's available for selection despite being in there in talks with West Ham. Just yeah, like you say, it'd be that'd mad. be cl- classic, wouldn't it? Get a knee injury or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Coming on as an 89th minute sub as United try and hold on to a 1 0 lead against the mighty. Yeah, Wolves. just after he puts one in his own net. Oh, man. It just feels it feels right. I mean, if Moyes is going to survive, I, I, I guess the risk for Maguire would be that there's this rumour about Moyes and the sporting director not getting on. What if, uh, and they obviously lost Rice and may lose Paqueta. That's pretty disruptive in West Ham's midfield. Maybe they don't replace them properly, have a bad start of the season and Moyes goes because of all this friction. And then West Ham hires some coach who loves to play a high line and then <laughs> absolutely screwed. So it's, yeah. So I can, I can see the risk there. And then they're probably negotiating on wages because I'm sure that Maguire earns quite a bit more than West Ham's top earner. So they may have to like, I may have to top it up in some fashion. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know a football club who does that better than Man United, topping up players that they sold. Oh, we love to pay players, not to play for us. Yeah, embarrassing. But yeah, like in terms of, I know there are a few risks involved, but if he backs himself, he's not going to get into another go to another club which is in European football. And it, well, I was going to say, I don't think there's no chance. Like, there's no other team in England who are playing European football that Maguire would get into or go to. So I think it's like, I know, and I know West Ham didn't have a great season last year. And I think, they, yeah, like they, like you say, they could be down there again, like losing the players that they might lose in Paqueta and, and Rice. But come on, you've got to back yourself and like, you, he must see himself as potential captain there. Like, like there's a, a big club. Like, I know they're a shit club. Yeah. And they never win anything apart from like last season where they won on Mickey Mouse European Second trophy. biggest average crowd to the league yeah, last season. Yeah, like they are. And it's, they're a well-supported yeah, club. It's a, good, it's, a, it's a good club to go to. Like, and yeah, I'm not selling it, Harry, but you should, yeah. Get on your way, kiddo. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's not going to another, I mean, he doesn't fit. And uh, Pochettino at Chelsea, Postecoglou at Spurs. I can see why they might be tempted, but it's not the same system. Obviously not a Klopp at Liverpool or Guardiola at City or Arteta, right? So he doesn't fit the no. style for any of these coaches. So even if he was in the great in great form, it, it's not a good stylistic fit. Even Villa so, as well, like, who were in Europe Conference League. Even even Villa, yeah. I mean, so who are the slightly deeper, like Newcastle, West Ham? Trying to think of another team, and like, and then it's all the teams down at the yeah, bottom, yeah. Basically, so yeah, so like a Forest or something. Yeah, he, he should go off to Italy or somewhere like that. Yeah, I mean, look at what it did for Chris Smalling. Like Chris Smalling's like a great yeah. defender. He always has been. I, I think I think it was Fergie who said he's one of the best defenders he's ever coached, and. And Hoyland said it the other day that like one of his toughest opponents was was Chris Smalling in, in, in Serie A. Like he's found a renaissance in his career going to Italy because the game is so much slower, and Maguire would probably benefit from that. But I can't imagine, I can't imagine Harry Maguire moving abroad. To be honest, he doesn't doesn't even. I can't even, literally picture it in my head. He's not had good experiences 
the, in, in foreign climates. <laughs> As Even in Dublin at the weekend, he was I know, I, booed by the, uh, by the fans. Oh, dear. Yeah, I know. That was ridiculous. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah, it's just... Yes. I, I, I don't remember what happened with that. That Greek did it get dismissed or is it still in the on the docket? Because I know they had this mega backlog. Yeah, I, I, I felt like it, it might it. be still you... going, but yeah, I don't think. Yeah, he's probably not going to go back to Greece and very Wow, yeah. Is there an extradition? I'm sure there is. I mean, yeah, there must you know, be. Yeah. Might have the judge doffing his black cap, <laughs> sentence you, Harry. To... No, it's very odd. If he went to Forest, I'm pretty sure. The forest owner Maranakas is quite friendly with the judges in Greece. So if that if that oh could get him yeah, a, if that yeah, is still hanging over him, it might, deal. might work out quite nicely. Actually, nice little move. Yeah. Well, when he's in London, he can go visit the British Museum and have a look at the Elgin marbles <laughs> stolen from the people of Greece, <laughs> and have a good long hard think about whether. Yeah, he should fuck the Greek police and Greek civilization. <laughs> one, one of the world's great quotes that probably wasn't true, but <laughs> we all had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> one. Yeah. Other weird transfer shit going on at the moment is Harry Kane, I guess, after Bayern seems like he's agreed the deal. There was a lot of debate like overnight about whether he was actually going to agree mm. it after Spurs had agreed a feed, but seems like that's happening. I mean, really, United should put a cheeky bid in, shouldn't they? 85, 86 million. I so I, I was... you could find that for FFP for purposes, you just sell Scott McTominay and that's done. That's okay. Well, so... I was listening to the second captains yesterday and Jonathan Wilson was on and they were talking about oh, like the debate that Maguire, because uh, it, not Maguire, but yesterday afternoon they were saying that Kane, oh yeah, he's, he's debating not going. And Wilson was like, I've got a sneaky feeling United are going to come in now. Now they know what the offer is. They're going to come in and... The price has been set, yeah, right? Yeah. But yeah. then he was like, actually, the way that United are run, they're probably not thinking that smartly. And But that was been a, a perfect opportunity to, to go in. I mean, there's part of me that's like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of glad that we're moving beyond this like short-termism. But then I'm also thinking, Harry Kane, like... He could guide us to the league title, like genuinely. Like, I feel like the the top, uh, the like City are going to be worse this season. Like Liverpool, I don't think are great. Blah 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 blah. Like I genuinely think if we if we got Kane, like we could we could end up winning the league. But it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It does seem like he's set on buying, which I think also is a bit of a weird move. Like I know he's going to win trophies there, but like what is he really going to gain from winning? Are you going to get a medal? But like, are you going to really gain that much respect from winning the league at, at Bayern? He might win the Champions well, League, he, like, and, and they're definitely going to be, be in, in, yeah. in for a shot now. They've got him, but like, if you're yeah. just winning league titles at Bayern, like, well, yeah, well done. They've won the last ten. They have, although, I mean, I think City are pretty much nailed on for this one. I'd be absolutely shocked if they don't, and that'd be five of the last six in England. We are becoming yeah. the, the Bundesliga. So, yeah, less competitive than La Liga from a title winning perspective. Obviously, there's a lot of competition at the top end of the, the table. So from second down to sixth, I think we'll be pretty close this mm-hmm. year. There's a lot of competition there. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't go with the parochial few. I mean, buying a massive yeah. club, they're really well supported. It's a great city to live in. Munich's beautiful. 
he he will do something that not that many English players have done really and and go out and play for a big European club. I mean, obviously there are some, but historically, both for weird parochial reasons and then the the money in England, uh, there hasn't been a a long stream of top English players playing abroad. So he'll do that as well. He will give them a shot at the Champions League. And, 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 And maybe it's just been made clear that there's no chance in hell that Spurs will sell to another yeah, English team. But the... of course, if Kane really wanted to move to United, if he wanted to give it a crack at the, at the Premier League title with United, he could just say, OK, I'm going to sit it out yeah. for a year. So, and he'd pocket most of that 80 million in a bonus for himself. I do wonder if you sat Kane down about three or four weeks ago before kind of buying really emerged as being a having huge interest in him. I wonder like where Bayern would have sat in his top 10 or top five, if they would have been in the top five, because surely like Real Madrid would have been top and just with Benzema going, you would have thought that that might be a possibility. Barcelona obviously would be up there. United would be up there. City would be up there. Where would Bayern maybe have been fifth choice? And like like you say, it is a good move and it's exciting. I always like it when English players do go abroad and, and spread their wings and become, yeah, well, what he's likely to be, like the star, potentially the star player at Bayern, which is really, really cool for English football. And like, it, yeah, it doesn't happen enough. And I think in the same respect, Bellingham going to Real Madrid in that respect is really, really pretty cool. Like, I think it's a great move for him and for English football. But yeah, I do think Bayern is, is probably the best, best of... Not a bad bunch, but like, yeah, fifth best probably option that he had on the table that eventually became an option. Yeah. And then the other fun thing that's going on is Moises Casado, <laughs> Liverpool coming in with a humongous bid. I mean, it's way over the top. I mean, he's, good, he's a good player, but he's still 18 months into his career, basically, in England and unproven at the very, very top level. Never played a Champions League game, for example. So that's just... It's, uh, and for a defensive midfielder, I mean, he's a good all-rounder. He, his numbers are great on passing as well as as the defensive side of things. That's just insane bid. Uh, but it seems like he's turning yeah. them down. They've offered lower wages than Chelsea. Chelsea have offered lower fee. So see how this one plays out. It is just... It's crazy. Like, I don't know, the, the quote going around about Klopp, like, if if we ever spend $100 million, then then I, I'm going to... Oh, he literally said go, it. I'm yeah, that's resign. me done. Just, that's hilarious in itself. Yeah. But, like, the fact that it's... He should resign. He's, he's a man of integrity, like his uh, former captain, John Henderson. <laughs> yeah. And it just... It's, it, is, it is crazy for a defensive centre-mid. Like, you say, who's who hasn't proven himself. Like, he's good. He's he's good. And he could be really, really good. But, like, it's just, it's, it's bizarre. And it makes me also, like, question all of their other signings this summer. Like, if they're, if you're willing to spend $110 million on on Caicedo, more than what Todd Bowley is, was prepared to spend on, on Caicedo, because they were going to win that until Caicedo was like, actually, I'd rather go to Chelsea, which is also hilarious in itself. Like, so what just outright saying, I know you have everything sorted for me in the contracts there willing me willing me waiting for me to sign, but actually I'd rather go to that other club. That basket case down south is really, really funny. But 
if you're willing to spend £10 million more than Todd Bowley, absolute crap pot. Like, I think it's even more than that. Wasn't Chelsea's last bid like Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, yeah. <laughs> it's mad. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, Liverpool have been known in the last few years as just being very, very sensible in the mm-hmm. transfer window. But, of course, Michael Edwards left and then they've, they've had three directors of football in the last yeah. year, basically. And that may be changing things somewhat. Klopp's got more autonomy there. He's talked about it in the past. He just wants to be a coach. So maybe an FSG are under a bit of pressure because there's some fans that don't like them. Given where Liverpool were when FSG took over, it's a little bit odd. I mean, maybe there's some residual resentment around Super League. But uh, it actually, it doesn't play out that way online. Maybe it's different with the fans groups and stuff like that. But online, it plays out like a bunch of entitled twats who had one bad season and now want to get rid of the owners and the manager and everyone else. There was, uh, I think it was Scott from Republican Mancunia tweeted one of the Liverpool fan accounts who just yesterday you were tweeting something about FSG out and then followed it up with a tweet about them now having the best midfield in the country <laughs> with obviously a head swap with Caicedo wow. in it. Yeah, and, and Klopp came out and publicly talked about it as well. So them getting owned like this is kind of, it's, it's quite it is, amusing. It is hilarious. This is usually the thing that was like, this is how United have been in like the transfer window. Nothing is as embarrassing as this. But like, it's yeah, it's beautiful to see it turn on the other foot. And I suppose it puts into context the 55 million spent on Mason Mount. Uh, there's no way Caicedo is twice a player. Probably a better player, but I mean, that's again, not really proven. Uh, yeah, it's... Anyway, fun and games. And also like twice the price that w- Liverpool was willing to spend on Lavia. I think Lavia is a really good player. Yeah. But they were willing to... They were nickel and diming. Yeah, they one, weren't, weren't even they? willing to spend 50. Like, well, I say only 50, but like they weren't willing to spend 50 on Lavia, but they were willing to spend 110 on Caicedo. Like... The, the Lavia stuff was really... it. Yeah, it's, the contrast is, is really odd, isn't it? They were going up in increments of like yeah. a pound, the Lavia. 48 million and one pound. <laughs> And two pounds and three pounds. Yeah. It's very odd. And then there are just like 50 million for Kaiser, 110 million. <laughs> it's like Woodward levels. Of, yeah. yeah. All fun. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm assuming that United are done with their spending this season. It's really just getting players out now in order to to balance the books. There's, there's not really a lot of clarity around exactly what United's FFP position is. It's it's kind of hard to work it out because it's not just the incomings and outgoings. It's how much they try and write down for other costs that make a big difference as well. And of course, that's where United got the fine this season, like trying to write down too much for COVID costs under the old methodology still. So, yeah. I'm going to assume that United aren't buying anyone else and uh, it's really just about getting a few players out now, thinning out the squad, because actually I do have a really big squad. Yeah, yeah. And there's a few decisions to be made there. Well, we've got a game at the weekend against Wolves, who are in some disarray. They, They sold... Ruben Neves to Saudi. I forget which club now. Do you remember? Is it Al Hilal? Al Nasser. They were in the Arab Cup semi-final the other day. I think he might have got sent off. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't remember their name. Yeah, three of the aren't three of the teams in there. Asian Champions yeah, League. Yeah, it was Saudi. Al Shabab, Al Hilal, and then Al Nasser, I think. I know. Yeah, yeah, the other, yeah, Al Nasser beat out one of the other non. Might be Raha Casablanca. Right. Useless information. Yeah, so they sold him for fifty odd million euros. They they had the option on Matthias Cunha, which they had to take up. They probably would rather have not taken that one up, I imagine, since he scored twice last season. Yeah, he was a weird sign. It was always a very strange yeah, deal. Yeah, a weird signing. And uh, I used to watch a lot of Herta uh, for Hungarian reasons a few years ago, and, and Cunha was there, and he was one of those players that had a lot of quality, but didn't have a lot of get up and go and about him. And then Atletico signed him, I guess, based on his quality and tried to instill that Simeone get up and go in him. And he clearly didn't have it. And he's, yeah, he's just one of yeah. those players that I'm sure is just going to drift about loads of different clubs because people will think, oh yeah, I'll take a punt on his quality. And he does have loads, but yeah, he's just been like so many wall signings recently, just, a bit of a dud, and they're yeah, they're a bit of a basket case. Well, they are a big basket case right now. Well, they've bought no one. They've lost Lopetegui, who obviously clocked that they were not going to spend any. I mean, the the piece in the Athletic said that it went from yeah, it wouldn't be too many signings, but a few to no fees, only freebies, to no players <sighs> at all. I mean, they brought Matt Doherty yeah. back, didn't they, from from Atletico Madrid on a freebie? So they've got that one. And Cunha, but he was there back into last season. And that is yeah. it. They spent a lot of money in January. And I think that's why. Because I think they spent like 100 million. And then whatever Cunha was as well, I'd add on top of that, like 120, yeah. 50 odd or whatever it is. Like they spent a lot of money on not a lot of quality. And now they're in this position with Gary O'Neill, who obviously did a really good job at Bournemouth last year and was really harshly sacked. But yeah, well, given seven days to prepare for United it, it's it's a perfect team for us to start our season against usually I feel like we all well you'd we, hope yeah you would hope, you'd hope but usually it feels like we always get a team where they've just got a new manager bounce but in this case I don't think that new manager bounce is really going to be a thing like Lopetegui did it didn't work miracles for them last season but he took them over when they were bottom of the league and and made them safe comfortably and yeah Gary O'Neill's got big shoes to fill and with a team that's like you say, losing their best player in Neves, Adama Traore is gone as well. Like he, I know he's massively inconsistent, but he's still a huge threat and he always causes everyone problems no matter who, who he plays. Like, yeah, I think it's, it's very lovely that we're playing them on Monday. I think, well, I say that now, I say this now, but it, it's kind of the perfect team to play on the first week of the season. The, the basket case, you want, you want to play. I, I hope so, You want yeah. to play the basket case. Yeah, there's a little bit of, oh, fuck, new manager bounce. Like nagging at the back of the head, but they shouldn't get much of a bounce from this. So this is not a we were having yeah. a bad time. Let's clear out house. This is it's so much chaos in there that the managers left. It's not yeah. the same. So yeah, I'm hoping. Yeah, I haven't haven't paid attention at all to their their preseason walls. Whether they've been because I don't think they were part of the US tournament. Were they? I don't know whether they were playing somewhere else in the world. Or not, so I don't really know whether they're playing well in preseason. Uh, but yeah, it should be a good way to start. Hopefully, United score a few goals. We're, we're not going to get to see Rasmus Hoyland. He's not quite fit. It looks like they're targeting the Arsenal game at the end of the month for his return. He's got a small problem with his back. 
don't think it's anything too doesn't sound like it's anything too serious. So I presume we're going to get to see Marcus Rashford up front. Yeah. With what? Garnacho coming in at the left? I mean, it's, I guess we've seen the two options. Rashford up front, Garnacho left, or Rashford left, Jaden Sancho up front. Yeah, I think the fact that Sancho played in Dublin on Sunday isn't a good indication for him that he's going to yeah. play. And I know he's kind of been... Well, people say he's been great, but he's, I don't think he's been that good. I think he's been fine. He's been looked okay. But, yeah, I mean... If there's any comparisons between, I know Russia's better on the left, but when you've got Garnachos, I guess this is going to be a proper breakout season. You'd hope, hopefully, stay clear of injuries, which last season he had a few. But starting in the first team from preseason is great because that, like I know, it feels like Garnacho's been part of the first team for ages. It feels like to me, but like last season, like this yeah. time last season, he was still playing underage football. So yeah, this. I think, yeah, you've got to go with Garnacho on the left and Rashford through the middle. I think also Rashford's just such a better option through the middle, despite being better on the left anyway, than, than Sancho. But, yeah, hopefully we can see the best of Sancho this season. But I don't know. I'm not holding my breath for that one. I'm really not. We'll see. I feel like we've had the same debate about him for two years now. Yeah, we're still waiting for, we're still waiting mm. for him, aren't we, to, to show what he's really got. It'd be interesting if one of the teams that's still looking for players, if, say, Spurs decided they wanted an extra player, came in with a fairly hefty bid, would United countenance it or not? Uh, I don't know, speculating there. Still a lot forward. We've got a lot of forwards. I, I, I do think there's a role for him as a utility player this season. Utility forward can play right across the line. I, I, I still think he'll play yeah. plenty of times. But, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not been what we hoped and expected. For sure. So, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think it's going to be Garnacho, Rashford, Anthony up front, and then midfield, obviously Casemiro. And then the question is Ericsson or Mount. Neither look particularly good in preseason. Ericsson looks off it to me. Yeah. Just didn't look quite fit. I'm not sure what it was. Just, yeah, wasn't even making the the hour mark, which is his normal. Um, yeah. yeah. It falls off a cliff in terms of his fitness. So, yeah. I'm guessing it's going to be Mount at eight. And then the back line, really the only choice is Dallo or Wan-Bissaka at right back. And neither of them really had particularly good preseason, both making quite a lot of mistakes. Yeah. It's interesting because like, obviously Dallo played in, in Manchester on Saturday and, and Wan-Bissaka was, because it felt like that was the A and B team. Well, it was uh, in many respects. But I think if you, if you want to, dominate if you want to have more of the ball and in, in a game where we are going to have more of the ball I guess Dallo is the the logical option but I do like Juan Bissaka's passing like I know he's has limitations going forward which I think he improved upon quite considerably last season but his passing is really good it's neat it's tidy whereas Dallo we've got two very average right backs haven't we like very average right backs like there's no like both of them have flaws and I feel like Dallow's just a bit messy. He might be better going forward. Like he's got a better shot on him. He's definitely better at crossing. But they're, he's, they're still, he's still limited in the final third. And also, like defensively, he's, yeah, he's not as good as Wambasaka. I like his tenacity, I like his personality. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, we're picking between two six out of 10 right backs, really. I, I mean, I think I think that's right. I mean, Wambasaka's defending, the, the thing people like is his one on one defending. 
But mm. positionally, which is just as big a part of the game, he's all yeah. over the place. Just he's it's just all over the place. And yeah. It's it is the biggest weakness in the United's yeah. team. And there isn't an option since Ethan Laid didn't quite make it. There's no other option at the club and we're just gonna have to live with it for a season. I mean Dallas signing a new contract, let's talk about Wan Pasek signing a new contract. It just doesn't it doesn't feel like Ten Hag could possibly be happy no. there. Yes, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I guess for another, then we for another, another window. Hope United figure it out. <laughs> and yeah. the, I just don't. I, th- I think you're, you're right. The Wembezaka made a lot of progression. I, I just wonder whether he's butting up against his absolute yeah. limits now. He's yeah, he's still only it was I think one assist last season. So. Oh, yeah. So th- those are the two. Th- yeah. I, I think it's it's Mount or Eriksson, Dallow or Wan-Bissaka, and that that'll be our team for Monday night. Yeah, yeah I think I, I think I'd go with Mount in centre mid as well. Like just just kind of give him that confidence from the out. I know, like you say, he's not had a good preseason, but I sometimes feel like United feel like we've done it quite a bit with new new players. We don't play them immediately, and they can't get into the rhythm of playing. But it's it's the perfect opportunity, I think, in, in a game like this to just play him out from the start and hopefully give him that confidence and believe that he can be a United player, which I feel like sometimes ha- doesn't happen with our players. Sancho, I think, was a good example of that. It felt like Sancho didn't start. He wasn't playing week after week in the starting eleven, and it felt like he maybe lost a bit of that early enthusiasm, which he could have maybe had from the start, which I think is crucial when you join a new club. And I hopefully Mount can get that immediately because there are a lot of question marks around this signing and I feel like our fans will turn against him quite quickly if he doesn't play well, being an ex-Chelsea lad and a Southerner. So, yeah, I hope I hope he gets off to a good start. Def- I'd definitely play him ahead of Christian Eriksen, who, like you say, not looks sharp at all in pre-season. Not look sharp, not look fit. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the long history of Londoners coming to United and not exactly finding favour with the fans. I mean, remember the abuse that Rio Ferdinand got all, all as good a player as he was, and he was a magnificent player for United. He was seen as slightly flash yeah. and a southerner and uh, reddish, you called him Wobbly Gob Tosser, <laughs> which was a rather cruel name, which stuck. Yeah. Reddish, you uh, so, not usually yes. like nasty either, are they? They're interesting, yeah. Interesting red issue. I mean, obviously, it's been dead for a few years now, but I don't know whether you read the profile of one of the founders, not not John Paul O'Neill. I don't think I did, actually. He turned into a... So there was a piece, I think it was a longer piece in The Athletic, I'm thinking, or I might might have forgotten that now, where it came out, but about a month ago. Because that that Twitter account went really weird. It started posting all this conspiracy theory stuff and then anti-vaxxers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was a profile of of him. Ah, oh, no, and interesting. I, I, yeah, I'd like to read that as well. Go find it. You should too at home, please. All right. Yeah, yes. It's a podcast, so we can't no, put a link. And we're not sponsored by the Athletic, the so you can do what you want. You don't have to go and watch it. We're not, although we mention them a lot because they obviously have a fair chunk of the the, the media presence in the in football writing in, in the UK for now, at least making some cuts over at New York Times. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see how much of it mm-hmm. survives. All right. Well, I'm thinking a win on Monday night, and we'll be back with you after that. So you got a score prediction, Tom? I don't know, 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0. 4-0
Mason Mount oh, yes. getting on the score sheet as well. How about you? I'm going to go with... I, I can't see them scoring no. Wolves. So, yeah, I'm going to go with 3-0 just because I have to give it They couldn't score. score last season either. That was that huge. They maybe scored like 31 goals. I mean, United-Wolves games are usually terrible, but, yeah, I've got my fancy this week. All right. We'll catch you after that one, folks. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye now.